Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God expects us to make spiritual progress. Now, there's a legitimate place to be, as he refers to here, there's a legitimate place to be a babe, an infant. But a babe is to grow into maturity. So God expects us to make spiritual progress. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become mature. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Hebrews. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Hebrews, chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, in a message titled, Keeping Your Spiritual Senses Sharp. Now, here's Pastor Brian. So as we come to chapter 5, as we're making our way through this epistle, the author has been speaking to us about the, the priesthood of Christ. And back in the third chapter, the beginning of the third chapter, he said, uh, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Jesus Christ. And uh, so he's been building on this, this picture of Jesus as being our great high priest. And as we came to the end of the fourth chapter, he, he kind of you know, solidifies some of that there by reminding us of just how wonderful it is that Jesus is in this position. And so let me just pick up in verse 14 of chapter four, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted, tested, tried as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So chapter 5, verse 1, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men in things pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required as for the people, so also for himself to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. Now, remember, the recipients of this letter originally were Jews. And um, I think, you know, probably Jews that dwelt in Israel or in Jerusalem, those who were very uh, familiar with the temple services, the sacrificial system, the priesthood and all of that. And so the writer is uh, appealing to all of these things that they would be familiar with uh, to communicate to them certain things about Jesus as the Messiah, but who is also simultaneously our high priest. And, and the point that he's in some ways continuing to drive home here is that Jesus had the full human experience because what he's wanting us to remember is that in Christ, we have this 
sympathetic high priest. We have this person who is, is there at the right hand of God. He's there making intercession for us. He's there to you know, take up our cause, if you will. And the important thing to remember is that he's been in our shoes. And so he's just stating that in a number of different ways. And so here, talking about the high priesthood, as he goes into the fifth chapter, he's emphasizing the fact that every priest, they were taken among men and and appointed for men and how they could have compassion because the high priest themselves, they were compassed about with weakness. And so again, Jesus understands our plight, but he points out that no one took this position to himself. Only those who were appointed by God, and then he makes reference to Aaron. So Aaron, for those of you that might not be aware of this, Aaron was the brother of Moses. And if you go back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus, which begins with the deliverance of the children of Israel from their captivity in Egypt, but closes with the establishing of this covenant we, we call it the Old Testament or the Old Covenant, but that covenant was established and it, it consisted of the, the commandments that were given, the, the law of Moses, and it also consisted of a tabernacle that was built, sacrifices that were implemented, and a priesthood that carried out the, the spiritual duty relating to the tabernacle. And Aaron, the brother of Moses, was appointed as the first high priest. So he didn't choose to be the high priest himself. He was appointed as high priest. And so his point, as he goes on into verse five, is so also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And so just as Aaron was appointed by God to be the high priest, the author is arguing that Jesus was appointed by God to be our great high priest, but not according to the order of Aaron, but according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, this is going to be a total education for these recipients of the letter because nobody knew anything at this point about really the the order of uh, Melchizedek. Melchizedek is an interesting figure that shows up. He, He actually shows up in scripture in Genesis 14, and he's mentioned once again in the Old Testament in the 110th Psalm. But apart from the one appearance in Genesis 14 and the one mention in Psalm 110, there, there's no other references in the entire Old Testament to Melchizedek. Now, in Genesis 14, we learn about Melchizedek, that he was a priest of God Most High. He met Abraham after a great battle, and he blessed Abraham, and that's the end of the story. We don't hear any more about him. And then centuries later, David is penning a psalm, and in the 110th Psalm, he says, as is quoted here, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So what the author is going to go on and show now is that Jesus, like Aaron, was appointed high priest, but since Jesus is not part of the 
the family of Levi. He comes from a different tribe. He comes from the tribe of Judah. Some Jews would argue, well, how could Jesus be a, a high priest since he's not related to Aaron? And the author goes on to show that he's a high priest according to another order. That is the order of Melchizedek. Now, we're going to get deeper into the whole subject of Melchizedek as we make our way through, and we'll save that for the seventh chapter where the author really delves deeply into who Melchizedek is. But, but his, he introduces Melchizedek here, and he's wanting to talk about them, about the significance of the priesthood of Melchizedek, but there's a problem, and that's what he addresses here in the remainder of the chapter. And the promise is essentially these people are not ready to receive it, although they should be. So let's pick up and read from verse 7. Speaking of Christ, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as priest, as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So simply he's saying, look, I want to tell you some really important things. I I want you to go to a a deeper understanding of this priestly ministry of Christ. And I I want to do that by introducing you to the priesthood of Melchizedek. But the problem is you're not ready to receive it. And so this is um, one of those places in this letter where there is a rebuke and this rebuke is followed by a strong warning. Those of you that have been with us, you remember that this, this epistle is full of warnings because the author is concerned that these people who have enjoyed a relationship with God through their faith in Jesus as the Messiah are, are drifting back into ritual. They're going back and embracing the ritual, and in doing so, they're they're leaving the relational aspect of it. So he's going to deal with that as we come to verses 12 through 14. And then into the sixth chapter, he's going to even address it further and give uh, another one of those really strong warnings. But before we get to verses 12 through 14, which we're going to focus on, let me just touch on verses eight and nine real quickly. So speaking of Christ, though he was God's son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. This does not in any way suggest that Jesus was ever disobedient and he needed to learn how to be obedient. What it's telling us is that, again, he went through the full human experience. Though he was God's son and equal with the father, when he became a man, he learned by experience what it was like to obey God. And so he went through the difficulties and the challenges and the ups and downs and the temptations, and he remained faithful and was obedient through all of that. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so the idea of him being perfected here means that he went through the complete experience as a human being. 
And going through the complete experience of life, he was faithful and obedient all the way through. And so as a result of that, he has become the author or the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And now called of God as high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. And then verse 12, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So he's saying, as you can see, look, I want to I tell you something about the priesthood of Christ. I want to talk to you about Melchizedek. The problem is you, you become dull of hearing. So the implication of the statement is that they previously were more spiritually attuned. They, they were sharper at a previous time. They had become dull of hearing. And that's the, the problem that we want to address today, the, the issue of, of being dull of hearing. How does that happen and how do we avoid it? But let's also look at three things here in verses 12 through 14 that we see that God expects. Number one, God expects us to make spiritual progress. God expects us to make spiritual progress. Now, there's a legitimate place to be, as he refers to here, there's a legitimate place to be a babe, an infant. And there's a place where, a legitimate place where we uh, take in just you know, the basic foundational kinds of things to grow, just like, just like a baby takes in milk initially, and as the baby grows and becomes stronger and more mature, then, of course, the baby transitions from milk to solid food. And so there's a legitimate place for spiritual infancy and being a, in, in a state of being a spiritual babe, but a babe is to grow into maturity. And these people had become arrested in their state of growth. They had not progressed beyond infancy. And that was contrary to what God expected. So God expects us to make spiritual progress. He wants us to grow. He wants us to become mature. He expects us, every one of us, to be able at a certain point to teach others the things that we have learned. Now, this isn't uh, suggesting that every Christian needs to become a pastor or you know, a, a Bible teacher in an academic sense or something like that. But the idea is that every one of us as Christians are to grow to the extent in our faith that we are able to pass those basic things on to other people that we're able to sit down and, and lay out the gospel and the foundational aspects of the Christian life to others, that, that every one of us would be able to do that. Now, in the gospel accounts, we find that the, the followers of Jesus were referred to as the disciples. 
And uh, a disciple is a follower, but a disciple is a follower who follows closely, not, not one who follows at a distance, but one who follows closely with the intent of receiving instruction from the master and applying that instruction to their life. The Greek word translated in the New Testament, disciple, is the Greek word mathetes. And we get our word mathematics from that. And so the idea is a disciple is a learner. A disciple is somebody who is listening closely with the uh, objective of learning and applying to their life the information that's being imparted by the master. So that's God's desire for every one of us, that we are disciples in that sense. And remember, Jesus, before he departed, he said to his disciples, he said, go now and make disciples of all the nations. Now, like I said, that's not just for, in that particular case, it wasn't just for those apostles to do. It was for all the believers to do. And so in our case today, to go and make disciples is not just my task because I happen to be in a pastoral role, but it's the task of every believer that we make disciples in as much as we take people through the fundamental truths of the gospel that can bring them to faith in Jesus and get them started on the path of growth. So God expects us to make spiritual progress. Secondly, spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. So look again at verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. So you see the connection here with the word, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use. So God expects us To make spiritual progress, spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. Those who by reason of use. So it's important to note, I think, that these two things go together, knowing and doing. You see, it's not merely the accumulation of information about God and biblical things that we're primarily concerned with. It's not an academic exercise primarily. It's not about getting you know, to know as many Bible verses as we possibly can. Uh, some people have more of, of a mental capacity than other people. There are certain people, I know certain people, who are very sharp mentally, and you know, they've got the ability to memorize, they've got the ability to recall, comprehend, and they, you know, they've just got this amazing wealth stored in their minds. And at any given moment, they could rattle off you know, 10 scriptures and quote them perfectly and even give you chapter and verse. And you look at that and think, wow, that's amazing. That is, oh gosh, I wish I was like that. And man, that person must be so spiritual and that person must be so godly and that that person must be so mature. Well, listen, not necessarily. You see, that's the sign of a good sharp mind, and that's a good thing. I'm I'm not putting that down. I'm envious of the people who have that kind of sharpness. 
But that's not all we're talking about. We're talking about not simply knowing, but we're talking about doing it as well. And that's what God expects from us, that we not only know God's word, but we do God's word. So on the other hand, I've known and I do know people who don't have that same kind of intellectual sharpness necessarily. They can't rattle off all those scriptures perfectly to you. They might have two or three that they've committed to memory and then they kind of stammer through them when they try to repeat them. But they've taken those truths and they've applied them so deeply to their lives. You see the transformation has taken place and that's what God's really looking for. So this is what God expects that we progress spiritually and that spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. So of course we can't do it if we don't know it, right? So we have the the commitment and the obligation to learn it, but with the intent of applying it to our lives. There's a stage that sometimes we go through you know, many Christians have gone through this stage. I think I probably did as well, where you, you get a bunch of knowledge, but it doesn't translate into your life. It doesn't result in transformation. It doesn't produce a deep humility. So you get a bunch of biblical knowledge and you're all proud about that. And, and there's something Paul even tells us in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, knowledge puffs up. There's, there's a tendency for knowledge to puff up, isn't there? You know, when you get to a place where you know more than other people about anything, really, you know, you can apply this across the board. Somebody thinks they know better than any, somebody else, then yeah, generally they get lifted up with pride over that. And that happens as well with the Christian experience. And over the years, I have seen many you know, many people who, like I said, you know, they, they've got a ton of knowledge, but they've got a ton of arrogance to go with it. And those two things don't really work that well together when we're talking about, you know, being more and more like Jesus. So knowing and doing, but then thirdly, spiritual progress is seen as or seen in an increasing ability to distinguish between good and evil and to choose the good. That's the idea here. Not just the ability to recognize good and evil, but to know the difference between good and evil and then to choose the good. So these are the three things. God expects us to make spiritual progress. Spiritual progress is linked to knowing and doing God's word. Uh, Spiritual progress is evidenced in an increasing ability to distinguish between good and evil, right and wrong, and do the good. So what's the problem? What was the problem here? The problem here was that they were not making progress because they had become dull of hearing. And this is the same problem that we face today. We can become dull of hearing. Our spiritual senses can be dulled. Now, in their case, because the question I want to address here is, well, how does that happen? How does one go from, you know, a, a spiritual sharpness? How does, how does one, you know, regress to, to a state of being dull spiritually? Well, in their case, it happened as a result of moving from relationship 
to ritual. It was a matter of the heart. For the month of February, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. The world, the flesh, and the devil are constantly at war against us Christians, and sometimes we feel defeated, and at others we give in to the pressures of sin and compromise. But in those times, we should not expect harshness from heaven. We can expect the gentleness of Christ to draw us in all the more, because it is God who sets the terms by which He loves us, no matter how unlovable we think we might be. So no matter what your sin or how long you've been sinning, Jesus will never cast you out. If you need to be encouraged about Jesus' unfailing love for you, or if you know someone that needs to know Jesus' love for them, we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Hebrews. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.